Welcome to Elder Law Answers, featuring attorney Doreen Seaman of the Seaman Law Offices. The Seaman Law Offices are dedicated to helping families successfully plan, protect, and preserve their future with elder law and estate planning services. Your phone calls are welcome at 304-296-0041. And now, Elder Law Answers on WAJR. And good Friday morning. Welcome to Ask the Experts on WAJR. Elder Law Answers for this Friday. And it is with Seaman Law Offices. Doreen Seaman in with us. Of course, you can reach her and her staff at 304-554-2900. And uh, good morning. Thanks for coming in once again. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is 2022. And what we plan on doing over the course of the next few shows is uh, kind of a thread. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about a specific family right. in this thread. And so let's get right to it. We're going to find out the role estate planning has on this typical family. And this is, again, a hypothetical story, but it's a combination of many of the people, many of the families you've worked with through the years. Yeah. You know how it is. I've kind of heard the same story many times over. So I figured, why not have some, you know, fun with this? Let's talk about a family, a hypothetical family, which is pretty typical for the types of relationships and series that we go through over the years. Okay, so let's set this up. Okay. Okay, so we have John and Sue, Mm -hmm. young couple, in their 30s, have a couple kids. Um, I met them through Sue's parents. Sue's parents were um, just getting ready to retire, but I had met them helping a grandma, the, the grandmother, get on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. She had a fall, got her on Medicaid. So um, the reason John and Sue came in was pressure. Mom and Dad, for Christmas, gave them a monetary gift, but it was earmarked to do their estate plan. Okay. So you mind if we back up one step? Sure. And- Talk about uh, Sue's parents and mm-hmm. their involvement with you. Mm-hmm. So that's how it often starts, right? right? It's an older couple that is mentoring a younger couple. Obviously, they're children, but still, you've mm-hmm. got a little bit of positive pressure there to get started. Do this earlier than we did, right? Right, right. And I think that was a big part of it. Through through working with the grandmother who was now on Medicaid, the parents, you know, kind of that sandwich generation, you know, think of somebody in their 60s, 50s, 60s, dealing with that. And they realize that the importance that any adult needs to have an estate plan. So, of course, everybody knows grandma needs an estate plan. Mm -hmm. And probably people in their 50s and 60s need an estate plan. But not everybody thinks about people in their, say, 30s that they need an estate plan. And they do, because if they fall and bump their head, they're adults, and somebody needs to be officially um, serving as an agent to make medical and um, financial decisions for that person. And then in John and Sue's case, they had children that were under the age of 18. And um, in particular, the grandparents were worried about who would be the guardians and how would that be taken care of. So the first meeting with John and Sue, how does that go? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So usually my couples this age, they come a little late. They're, you know, at least one of them is very disinterested. In this case, neither of them really felt they should be there. But, you know, they had been nagged. 
over time to come in and then mom and dad gave them this money to do it. So, you know, they were putting up with that. And the conversation, you know, they didn't really fill out our intake information completely. I could tell they were disengaged. Mm -hmm. But as we started talking and they realized that even though they're young, certain things need to be in place. And in particular, you know, as parents, we're all worried about our children. Right. And, and that really got to them. And, and I think knowing they didn't want to leave each other with a mess if one of them had an accident, you know, and uh, at least a temporary incapacity and ability to help. And then they became very engaged. So what's your approach? How do you get them there? How do you get them from disinterested and slightly annoyed to <laughs> paying attention and digging into mm -hmm. the information that you're mm -hmm. offering? Yeah, so we just kind of, you know, get to know each other, figure out what's important to them because the same things aren't important to every couple, right, or individual that comes in. And so I just started asking questions, you know, well, what would you want to happen in this case? And they'd say, well, you know, I don't really, I'm not really worried about a will because I just want everything to go to my spouse and then my kids. And, you know, but they haven't thought about that you can't just give money to a minor child and, you know, what complications would that spouse have who's now a single parent, um, you know, and they start envisioning this. And I, I know that sounds depressing, but a lot of people end up, it, it's not a depressing conversation. People get excited knowing that some of those things that are in the back corner of our mind that we don't want to let in, that we're afraid to let in, that they could sign a few pieces of paper and, and map things out, and then they have peace of mind and know they did a good thing for their family. Okay, so they start to perk up when you bring up the children and you mm -hmm. talk about the children and what happens. There's a lot of what-ifs in life, but what if there's an accident? What if there's a catastrophic illness to one of the adults, mm -hmm. then what? Then the children, and, it, and as you say, it's not just say, well, I want this to happen, I want this to happen. It has to be legally bound. Right, right. A lot of people don't realize that even if, uh, they, they might know that when they die, they need to have an, a guardian appointed for their children, but they don't realize that if there was that accident or incapacity, um, that they need to have a guardian appointed for their children until they get better. And a lot of people struggle over that. They're worried about maybe they don't have anybody they would trust or they have certain people they didn't want to. And, mm -hmm. and that was the case in this family because Sue has a great family, but John had a pretty rough upbringing, and he didn't want his family to have anything to do with the kids and their upbringing. And, you know, you have to think about it if – um, family members are petitioning a, a, the court for guardianship over those children. The judge only knows the evidence placed before him, and there might be some private things, him or her. Um, there might be some private things that John knows about his family, why he wouldn't want them to be the guardians of the children, but it doesn't mean that that would be flushed out in court. And so if he doesn't want his family to be involved, then he needs to mm -hmm. man up and say that. And, or at least appoint the appropriate people in, in his documents. And then in my notes, I can have that he strongly felt that way. We don't have to say in the will, right. I absolutely don't want my brother to have anything to do with my children. <laughs> but, you know, we can have those private notes if it did really become an issue. Okay, documentation in terms of minor children, you need two. You need more than one. Is that correct? 
guardians yes, for the guardian. kids. Yeah. Well, we like to have a backup plan. Okay. So if um, somebody picks a person, we always say, okay, and if they're married, you also want it to be that spouse. So if I picked, say, my sister and she's married, well, what if my sister would be unavailable? Do I want her husband then? Okay. Or do I want it to go to my other sister? So so we ask those questions, and lots of times people haven't thought that through. Okay, so the children is the first thing. That's, that's yeah. what you put out there to get focus right right, focus right. Attention. yeah yeah okay. let's solve this okay. okay so you get you get past that issue then what well then we have to think about is the person who's going to take care of your children are they also going to manage the money for the children and in that case you might say well this family member would be great raising my children but either i think it'd be too much for them to also have to manage the money or they're not good with money, I need it to be this other person or maybe a professional because, you know, I don't have that person that would be good with the money. So that's the next thing that we have to look at. Okay, so guardianship and then the inheritance. Right. For the children. Right. All right, so mm -hmm. two kind of separate things. Yeah. And or they can be separate mm -hmm. things. And and if you don't have a will... And, you know, the, the, the state system, how we have it set up, the default system, would give the money to your spouse and then to your children. And as long as it's not a blended family with his, hers, and their kids, mm -hmm. it's kind of what you would want. But then state law would say, okay, your kid's 18 now, just give them whatever's left. And most people don't want an 18-year-old to get the rest of the money right. all at once. So it's more cumbersome while they're under 18. And then when they become 18, they're an adult and they get all the money and um, most of the people I talk to don't want an 18-year-old or a 21-year-old to have the money outright if we're talking about any amount of money. I mean, Kyle, what kind of decisions <laughs> did you make at 18? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd go, I'd probably buy a... A nice car? Yeah. You'd, you'd hope that you'd make that good of a decision, right? <laughs> so that, that's a, that's a yeah. very good point. Yeah. We are with uh, Doreen Seaman. Seaman Law Offices, it is... Uh, Ask the experts for this Friday morning, Elder Law Answers. We will continue the conversation. Stay with us. You are listening to Elder Law Answers on this Friday morning, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJR. Now back to Elder Law Answers, featuring attorney Doreen Seaman from the Seaman Law Offices on WAJR. It is Elder Law Answers for this Friday morning. Seaman Law Office's attorney, Doreen Seaman, in with us, 304-554-2900. You can reach Doreen and her staff uh, at their offices on the Greenback Road. Again, 304-554-2900. All right, we've been going through this scenario with, uh, with a young couple in their 30s, John and Sue, two children, and uh, Sue's parents got them to come in and start thinking about planning, making a plan. And uh, the parents even gave them a little financial incentive to get this done, right? Right. How right. often does that happen? Or are most people on their own? Most people are on their <laughs> own. But every once in a while, we'll, we'll see a parent of a younger generation mm -hmm. um, do that. Yeah. Okay. So the parents, the grandparents of these two young children got John and Sue to come in and see Doreen and their staff. And the first thing they went over, we talked about this in the first segment, was guardianship for the children and inheritance do you want the same people who you appoint as guardians to handle the money as well so okay you sort those two things out now 
the question arises how and when the money will be used. Right. So so John and Sue picked Sue's parents to be the guardians of their children. And then they wanted her brother to manage the money. And um, and he's good with money, so there are no red flags there. But then we had to talk about, well, how will the money be used? So they had some more decisions to make. So for most of my clients, they're pretty comfortable with what we call HEMS, which would be all the things a parent would pay for, health, education, maintenance, and support. I usually say that, and people say, what about college? <laughs> college is education. So, so college, soccer camp, all the things mom and dad would pay for. And then most people would choose to distribute the money or give the child a right to take the money out at a certain age. So it could be 18, 21, 25, mm-hmm. 50 Okay. Um, most people like to split it up into two to four rights to withdrawal. I think they think, well, if the child blows the first amount, hopefully then there'd be some backup money. Cause remember mom and dad are gone yeah. now. So probably nobody to bail them out. So, um, most commonly when I have young children, people seem to like the ring of 25, 30, 35. So what that means is Anytime the money's in the trust, the trustee can release money or pay a bill for the child um, that would uh, that could be applied to health, education, maintenance, and support. But when does the child have a right to say, hey, I just want some of my money, and you can't tell me what to do with it? Well, that's what those ages are, mm-hmm. 25, 30, 35. So in this case, it would be one-third at 25 years old, the second one-third at 30, and the third one-third, or the rest of it, at 35. So if the child doesn't have to take it out, and usually we don't close that door. So if they're 25 and they don't want it, but then when they're 27, maybe they mm-hmm. do, they still can take it out because they're over 25. Um, so then people might say to me, well, I don't want to hold them back. I think my child's pretty responsible. He might want to buy a home before he's 25. It doesn't mean that under the health, education, maintenance, and support, the money can't be used to put a down payment on a home. It just means that the trustees watching over the transaction to make sure it's a good transaction. Right. Just like you would if you were going to hand a child 20% for a down payment or something, you're going to want to make sure that they're making a good decision. So it's not to hold them back. It's just hopefully having somebody to oversee those decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It certainly does. So, again, every situation's different, and that may not be the situation you choose. But that makes sense, 25, 30, 35 for the hymns. Right, right, absolutely. Now, what if, um, let's pretend that the kids are much older and they say, you know, my kids are older than 25, 30, 35. I'm not, you know, I just want to make sure they don't spend it all at once. And, you know, I have a little bit of a red flag, but come on now, they're getting, they're in their 40s. I don't want to, you know, say 45, 50, 55, because there's nothing magical about the ages. So sometimes when they're just worried about a child getting a large amount of money all at once, sometimes they'll just say, well, let's give them maybe one-fourth the year I die. And then the second one-fourth five years later, the third one-fourth, and so on. So within, um, you know, 15 years, they would get one-fourth, one-fourth, one-fourth. And, of course, usually they would have the hymns all along. Mm -hmm. So... There's a lot of flexibility. We don't want to get too crazy. But usually if people tell me what their goals are and what their concerns are, I can give them some options that they're relieved 
to hear, okay, I hadn't thought about it that way, right? <laughs> you know, so so that's how we usually work into it. And obviously this changes. The, this is a couple in their 30s with two young children mm-hmm. when you put all this down on paper initially. Okay, so 10 years later, those children are teenagers mm-hmm. and things change. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later, those children are adults and right. things change again. So when do you... When do you uh, advise people to come up, come in and, and update their mm-hmm. situations every two years, every five years, or is that different for every case? Yes, to all of that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so obviously, if there's a change in circumstances, right? So um, some, somebody gets married, divorced, has children, um, somebody gets sick, retires, dies. Those are all good times to check in with us. Um, but if you haven't checked in and nothing seems to change, I would say somewhere between that two to five year period, mm-hmm. um, depending on what's going on in your life, um, that 25, 30, 35 sounds really good to people with young children. I would say usually maybe um, early teens or younger. But, you know, once you see how your child's developing, once they get closer to that 20 or 25, your your opinion may change drastically. Um, you might say they're still on a good track. Let's just let them have it all when they turn 25. Or you might say, you know, I'm not so happy with some of these decisions they're making. I want to change this up a little bit. And we talk about more options. Um, For example, one thing that we've had to put in our documents more recently is um, people are worried about their child being a productive member of society. And so they might want me to actually say that, that I want my child to be a productive member of society. I, I don't want them to be a trust baby, right? And if they're not working and trying to provide for their family, then I don't want to give them a, a right to take this money out or even for it to be used for that hems. Or they might say they want them to be drug tested because either there's a family history or just society today that right. makes them yeah. concerned. Okay, so again, every situation's different, and you can tailor that. You can tailor the provisions to whatever your thought process is if you uh, come in and see Doreen and her staff. Right. It all starts with goals. Yeah. Where do you want to be? I can help you figure out a way to resolve it. Okay. You can reach Doreen at 304-554-2900. And again, uh, great information on their website as well, SeamanLawOffices.com, S-E-A-M-O-N, SeamanLawOffices.com. All right. Great information. Once again, thanks for coming in. And we'll continue this next month in the month of February. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Again, this is Elder Law Answers on this Friday morning. Thanks for listening. And again, join us next month. You've been listening to 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJR.